yeah, welcome guys to another episode of Evolutionary Medicine. Um, today we are talking about antibiotics. Yeah. I'm guessing many of you guys watching ha or listening have taken antibiotics before. I wonder what percentage, maybe. Do you know? It's got to be close to 100%. Yeah. I can't, so, I'm not even sure I would, could think of a single person that I know who probably hasn't had, I don't know, a staph infection or a UTI or... Or a viral infection treated or, with antibiotics. Exactly. That's pro yeah. That probably is the most common, I would guess. So if you look at averages, I think the average 18-year-old now okay. has had somewhere on the order of 15 antibiotic prescriptions. So a huge number. Oh my God. Of their life. Yeah. That's like almost one a year for their entire life. Right. That's crazy. It's a lot. I don't think I've had mm. 15 in my 30 years. Maybe 10. I probably have. I've probably had 10, I would but say. But the bottom line is that, especially in pediatrics and kids growing up now, they get treated with antibiotics a lot. Yeah. And this has big consequences. It affects things like your microbiome, maybe. All right. Here we go. Oh, all right. Here we go. Bring so everybody closer. can hear you. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, Aeon mentioned ear infections. That's probably a big one. It's a big one. That is a big one. And those are often super young, too. So you're getting antibiotic exposure at really, really early ages, which is not good. Yeah, so again, getting back to the microbiome. Which we'll talk about, I guess. <laughs> we'll get to antibiotics since you're sooner or later. Yeah. But there seems to be this sensitive period, and it's probably from infancy up until about one and a half or two years old. Okay. Where if you get treated with antibiotics at that stage, then that has that can have a lasting impact on both your microbiome and also your whole the whole trajectory of your development. So we're we're learning this. And yeah. This kind of we did talk about allergies before. Yes. So that's one of the things that weeks. can happen. So too many antibiotics is is a is a bad a bad deal uh, for a variety of reasons, including antibiotic resistance. I remember the first time I had antibiotics, and I was four. Mm -hmm. I got stung on my knee by some sort of, you know, stinging insect, and it got infected. They gave me penicillin, and that was when I found out I was allergic to penicillin. Well, there you go. Yeah. So there's three things to say. Yeah. So one is, before people get the, the idea that I'm against antibiotics, I think that antibiotics are one of the most amazing tools that we have. For it's, sure. We simply can't practice medicine in an effective way without them. Yeah. And that's part of why we're having this conversation. Yeah. So I don't want to give people the idea that I'm anti-antibiotic. <laughs> I'm against too many antibiotics. I'm against sure. sort of the dumb overuse right. of antibiotics. Yes. Which is a big deal. Yeah. And then the second point is that um, a lot of times people come in and they blame spider bites. So I'm not mm -hmm. sure if that's what happened to you. No, it and, was like a hornet or something. Yeah. I remember it specifically being right on like, eh, I can't actually show you guys. There we go. We can kind of, there we go. It was like this year mm -hmm. and it was gigantic and it got really gross. I do wow. remember, those are some of my earliest memories, I think, was like my parents like forcing antibiotics into me because I was an unruly four-year-old in a lot of pain. Great memory. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Um, but usually if, so, in yeah. the ER when someone comes in and they say, hey, I got a spider bite and I think it got infected, mm -hmm. nine times out of ten it ends up being MRSA. 
So yeah, this is right. Methicillin resistant Staph aureus. Yeah. Super common. It's never the spider. These poor spiders get blamed for everything. I know. And it's, it's not true. the spider. I've probably done that myself. And then the third thing is, I, I also got a rash to penicillin yeah. when I was a kid. So we don't necessarily think that's a true allergy. Interesting. And as an adult, I've definitely had penicillin. And been yeah, okay. I've had my 15 prescriptions at least, and I've been fine. So I'm also allergic to the sulfa antibiotics as well. Mm, not um, good. Yeah. So I, I, I would be a little worried about trying penicillin as an adult, if only because I am allergic to other ones, and I'm just generally a very allergic person. Then I would recommend so, staying healthy. Yeah, I know, right? There you go. Um, <clears throat> but isn't there like a titer? that can actually test whether or not you have penicillin antibodies or something? I imagine that an allergist could do a test yeah. and find out. That's a bunch of tighter. They'd have to do a yeah, provocative test. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. But the best thing is just to be in the ER and we'll give you a dose and we'll see if you have anaphylaxis. Right. There you go. Because then we can treat you. Yep. I did have, I do remember I'm it was joking. a rash with both, with the penicillin and the sulfa right. one. So, and, and the yeah. sulfa one didn't, I remember specifically the rash. This was when I was in high school, I think, right. when I first had it. Um, the rash didn't develop for like seven days. I was almost completely through my whole course mm -hmm. of antibiotics before the rash started. So, which seems strange to me because I'm used to having very immediate reactions to things. Right. <laughs> but for those listening at home, this <clears throat> is not uh, considered for us as emergency doctors. Yeah. We don't consider that a true allergy. Okay. A, ra a rash by itself is not a not a really? true allergy, especially if it was in childhood, especially if it was to penicillin, mm -hmm. because that's so common. We get really much more excited if someone had wheezing, right. trouble breathing, yeah, yeah. full body rash and turned red all over. That's when we get excited. Is that why every time I mention that I have these these so-called allergies, they ask what my reaction was? Yeah. So they're looking to see if it was just a rash. They wanted to had anaphylaxis, and that's right. the really dramatic, gotcha. life-threatening horrible allergy interesting yeah yeah i mean i imagine if all you're ever going to have as a reaction is a rash if you only take it every so often maybe you end up just getting the rash and then when you stop taking it it goes away and you're fine but it still helped you right i suppose well we could talk about rashes all day yeah it's true rashes are <laughs> everywhere i'm assuming <laughs> um but yeah do you remember the first time you had antibiotics I remember having ear infections okay. as a kid. I, I never had, I had an ear infection as traumatic as what you had. Yeah. And then I had a, a horrible skin infection under a cast after I broke oh. my arm. Ooh, ouch! And I was complaining about it, and of course my parents were ignoring it. Yeah, yeah. And then when they took off the cast and the ER, they're like, "Oh my god!" Oh. And I had this incredible you know, skin infection. Woo! <gasps> Good times. Yeah. Dang. So yeah, so those are situations in which antibiotics might actually be useful. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. How many has have any of you guys not taken antibiotics or are there particular things that you have had to take it for or whatever that are noteworthy in some way? Um, you know, we're we're sharing horror stories at this mm -hmm. point, so you might as well join in. <laughs> um, and I imagine there may be some people maybe in the anti-vax crowd who have not been exposed to antibiotics. Mm -hmm. um, so there there may be some some folks. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's a whole other, whole other topic. Whole other topic. Yeah, we're, yeah. We're not going there. Yeah, yeah. Um, boring uses. Okay, that's mm -hmm. fair. I guess that's a good thing. 
that anytime you've used them, it was boring. Nothing exciting. Tonsillitis. Ooh, a tooth abscess. That sounds fun. Not. <laughs> so one, one of the things whooping I think cough. that... Uh, nice. Whooping cough. Nice. Pertussis. Pertussis. Yeah. So if you really had whooping cough, yeah, you'd probably need to get that treated for sure. Yeah. But I was going to say that we kind of lose track of the fact that people and you know even pre-humans sure. had infections all the time. Yeah, and they either lived or they didn't. Well, but most of the time they lived. Yeah. Most of the time. So <laughs> the idea that you need to get antibiotics for every single infection simply isn't true. Right. And this is one of the things that drives this whole kind of over-diagnosis, over-treatment, sure. and antibiotic resistance epidemic. I It's weird, though. I, I understand that, mm -hmm. right? But I also understand how if, if I'm guessing most of you guys are uh, owners of a Y chromosome um, right now anyway, but um, you probably have not had a UTI. That would be my guess uh, just because it's way more common in, in mm -hmm. women. Um, and you get a UTI that so might be, yes, infection. right. Not um, the like whatever technical institute. <laughs> um, of Utah. Yes, yeah, something like that. Um, and if you've had one and if you've had a really bad one, anytime you get another one, which it is often frequent, um, and if you get one that is like kind of mild, but you know how bad it can get, I understand the the inclination to be like, I want to nip this in the bud as soon as humanly possible because of how awful it can get, Right. you know? And then there's also the risk. If you, if you don't treat it, you might get a kidney infection or, right. So I mean, all, there's everything you're saying, everything Kate, has a small probability. True. You know, having said that women got urinary and bladder yeah. infections right. in the For, pre antibiotic Exactly. Era, and, and they did just fine. Survived. Right. So what this tells us is that most of the time, your infection, no matter what it is, ear infections, we've talked right. about tonsillitis, sure. bladder infection, that you're probably going to get better because you have mm -hmm. an immune system. Exactly. but And it's so hard to reconcile those two things, mm -hmm. you know, because I understand both of them very readily. You know, I'm right. a scientist. I understand that we have an immune system for a reason and it works really hard and can do some amazing things. But I've also had a really debilitating UTI. <laughs> yeah, and I've certainly so, taken care yeah, of it's people hard. that have had that too. Yeah, it's really yeah. brutal. So it's, it's you know, really these are all things that you know every single person has to sort of take into account, or their their physician does with them. You know, okay. um, it's just an interesting thing because ultimately we are talking about science here, but we're also talking about people and the the life experiences that they have. So right. it's like. It's easy to, to what, talk about the science in isolation. You that's, know? that's true. And a lot of times, yeah, with, it's, it's pretty easy, especially for me, to kind of get up into the ivory tower yeah, and yeah. think about, yeah, we really shouldn't be using these medications, certainly not too much. But then, yeah, if you're confronted with a patient who's got a really painful UCI, yeah. I'm going to prescribe antibiotics. Yeah, but right. But there's some, there's some little tricks that, that yep. where we can take into consideration a little bit of knowledge about evolution sure. and resistance absolutely and actually make that person better off right so so we'll get into that but there's always this yeah. tension bet between do i treat this individual with antibiotics sure or do i worry about the population yeah so everybody yeah. 
in the population that's getting antibiotics that's driving this, this resistance. And that's an additional layer of the people that this is actually affecting yeah. too. So, so it's we, on we, an individual and population We doctors level. are responsible for our patients, but we also have a public health responsibility. Absolutely. And sometimes those can have a little bit of a little bit of tension. Yeah, right. But I think that I think that's that's not a real problem. Sure. Because I think that we, if we stay focused on the individual, mm -hmm. we can reconcile that yeah. in a way that, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Right. I mean, we've talked about fever before, mm -hmm. and you've mentioned that that's kind of a similar. There's a similar sort of flow chart going on in your mind when you're confronted with a specific individual. Say it's right. a, a child's mother and or father, and they're coming in with a very very sick kid, and you're trying to figure out. Do I tell them to get the fever down, or or don't I? You know, right? I imagine that's it's a, a case by case. That's a battle case. that sometimes I'll engage in, and I'll, right. I'll say, "Hey, just don't bother with the fever." I do tell parents that, but you can sometimes tell when parents are kind of at their last. You know, oh they're, yeah, they're pulling their hair out, yep. their kids fussy. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, go ahead, take take your Tylenol, and right. uh, we'll just we'll just deal with that for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting an interesting thing. There's so many layers to, right. to take into account. So, um, but yeah, so that's antibiotics. Um, I have some, I have just a general question, and I okay. think this will probably get addressed in the slides that we have, which right. we do have some lovely slides to show, um, about kind of the, the range of antibiotics, different types. Um, I'm guessing most people know about penicillin. Uh, maybe Cipro, that's another commonly used broad-spectrum one. Um, how about even just the broad-spectrum antibiotic concept? Um, can we give a little background on well, how they work? So one, how so one, one thing work? is that we, when we think about antimicrobials in general, so that that broad spec that, the spectrum yeah. that umbrella when we say antimicrobial <laughs> yeah. that's going to be antifungals antibacterial okay. agents anti helminths so against worms mm -hmm. uh, and even antivirals because we have sure. some medicines that work against that right but usually when we're talking about antibiotics the way that I usually think about it the mm -hmm. patients think about it these are things like penicillin sure. that are targeted against specific bacteria and <laughs> If we think about broad spectrum versus narrow spectrum, yeah, you know, penicillin back in the day mm -hmm. was a super broad spectrum, right? And excellent antibiotic, yeah, that targeted a whole bunch of different kinds of mm -hmm. bacteria and pathogens really, really well. Sure. And now it's not so much, and part of that is that mm. is that the some of the, some categories of bacteria have evolved resistance more readily than others. Interesting. So now penicillin is mostly effective against gram-positive bacteria, okay. things like staph and strep, mm -hmm. and we still use it for those those kinds of microbes. It doesn't work so well against E. coli, and that's a gram-negative uh, mm, microbe. Okay. Uh, but you did mention some other classes Right. Of yeah, like the sulfa one that I mentioned, that's yeah. a different class. So the sulfa ones actually work great for urinary tract infections because those are oftentimes caused by gram-negative bacteria. I'm pretty sure that's what yeah. I had it for So sulfa is more, more targeted towards the gram-negatives. Gram um, yeah, and then there's there, you mentioned Cipro, which is a fluoroquinolone, yeah. and that's in a, a, a newer, relatively newer mm -hmm. uh, category of antibiotics. And there are fluoroquinolones that that target both gram positive and gram negatives. Um, these are really powerful antibiotics, but they're also really because they they select so because they're effective antibiotics that exerts a selection pressure. Right. So 
evolution happens when we use antibiotics. Yep. And so we see rapid evolution of resistance against fluoroquinolones like ciprofloxacin. I've heard some things with cipro for the Achilles tendon. Mm. I've heard some stuff about this, that they are starting to not prescribe it anymore because it is maybe associated with some sort of weakening of the tendon itself or maybe the attachments That's something true. like that yeah so ciprofloxacin has been associated with achilles tendon rupture ah gotcha and so so, so is prednisone so steroids oh interesting that we talked about before right which is not an antibiotic hmm. but uh, I, I think you're right it, it causes a tendinopathy a damage to the actual you know, tendons which most of us care about our tendons yeah yeah we want especially our that tendon one to Oof. work so we can walk yeah so that's so there are these adverse effects that are definitely worth thinking about yeah macrolides which if, if anybody's been to the er recently with flu-like symptoms or the doc says well i'm just going to give you some antibiotics chances are you're going to get a z-pack so yep. that's zithromax or yep. azithromycin mm -hmm. and that's in this macrolide category and macrolides do some interesting things too. Most particularly, they can cause a heart rhythm abnormality. So if we get oh. a thousand prescriptions of a Z-Pack, chances are that you know four or five or eight people are going to get a potentially lethal dysrhythmia, wow. really a bad uh, heart rhythm. Not all of them are going to have actual problems and die, but this is something that we know about. So there are some really good reasons besides the antibiotic resistance sure. to not prescribe antibiotics unless we absolutely have to. And then if we have to, we can think about different ways about which, what's the best way to actually prescribe these. Wow. Dang. Yeah. yeah. Um, wow. That's crazy. I've had Cipro quite a lot because uh, back in the day. Because you're allergic to sulfa and you're yeah. allergic to penicillin. So like that was the one that I was prescribed most often. And mm -hmm. then I just recently learned about the Achilles tendon stuff. And how are your tendons? They're fine. That's good. Um. Yeah, I have a bum ankle, but not because of my Achilles tendon. Yeah. So it's the other ones. <laughs> so, um, but it's interesting. I don't know if we know this or if you know this, but why does it specifically target that one? I don't know. Because that, that's interesting to me. Like, mm -hmm. why would it be just that tendon instead of just all tendons or... Well, it might be know. all tendons, Maybe but that's it is, the one that, that, that undergoes that's... the greatest stresses. Sure, that makes sense, right? Yeah, it's a good yeah. point. Hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's why my my tendons tore in yeah. the fall previously. So, so uh, you know, just kind of we talked about these different kinds: the macrolides and the fluoroquinolones, the penicillins, cephalosporins, which was also derived from you know, penicillin. Famously, was comes from a fungus that was noted right. to actually inhibit bacterial yeah. growth. It's a mold, right? Yeah. Yeah. And a similar mold, these these come from they're called cephalosporins. They also come from a fungus. That was a second kind of big class of antibiotics that was mm -hmm. discovered. And that's they're very, very commonly used. Um cephalexin or keflex is an example of okay. this. Okay. I think I've heard of that one before. Right. So in general, in terms of these adverse effects that we're talking about, like the tendon problems and right. the heart rhythm issues and just mortality. From, that it's not associated with the, with the infection, the, the penicillins and the cephalosporins tend to have a little bit more favorable risk profile, but, but you're absolutely right. Some people just die of anaphylaxis. Sure. So we give them right. an antibiotic and they drop dead a couple of days later because of an overwhelming um, allergic reaction. Right. So yeah, the, here's, the, here's the truth about medicine and about life in general. 
anything which is effective and has a, has is biologically potent um, is going to have a downside. Yeah. So I, I tell my students that nothing in medicine is free. If you're if you're giving something that actually works and has a biological effect, it has a potential downside. And before we go ahead and make it and prescribe it, we'll spend just a moment thinking about the downsides. And one of the downsides, of course, is this problem of antibiotic resistance. Right. Yeah. I think that that uh, brings us to the slides, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Okay. Yeah. Let's start with penicillin. So yeah. So penicillin got a broad broad acceptance and really made it to the market uh, during World World War II. So I've got some images here. Penicillin cures gonorrhea. Mm -hmm. which now it doesn't so much, unfortunately. That's on a mailbox. <laughs> Gonorrhea doesn't, uh, which is a sexually transmitted uh, disease, unfortunately is not all that uh, sensitive to penicillin anymore, which is a bit of a problem. But this was a, this was a medical science bombshell uh, that it really had some, had some military implications and for the U.S. Army to have developed these antibiotics, the mortality during wartime plummeted. And then, of course, in terms of peacetime, having antibiotics was a game changer. And really, people up until recently, and I remember this, I remember in the late 80s and early 90s, we thought that we were going to basically cure all infectious disease. Wow. There was definitely, that, that, that was kind of the message, was that if we just develop the right antibiotics and use the right strategies, we can essentially drive these infections like tuberculosis into extinction and make them go away totally. And then, boom. You know, we get the HIV epidemic. Sure. Um, all of a sudden, there's a bunch of resistant tuberculosis, multidrug resistant tuberculosis. And we've realized that we've been backsliding. So ever since about the late 80s, we've been backsliding. And, and this enthusiasm for making infections just go away totally has kind of gone away. And this, this, is, this is important. It's important for you. It's important for me as a, as a physician. Sure. Because I have fewer tools at my disposal. Mm -hmm. So the problem is that after these breakthroughs, that resistance happens. And it doesn't just happen. This is a process of evolution. Right. And it's inevitable. And it's inevitable. Yeah. It's just a matter of time. So Alexander maybe you guys have, have heard this. This, this is a, Alexander Fleming got a Nobel Prize in 1945 for inventing penicillin. And during his Nobel Prize acceptance speech, where he talked about penicillin and all the great things it was doing, mm. he made the point that if you're going to prescribe penicillin, you should use a lot of it. And he really thought that the big problem in terms of resistance that he was aware of and he, that he publicized mm -hmm. was this issue of under-treatment. So if you take just right. one or two tablets of penicillin, then, then essentially you're, quote-unquote, training the microbes to mm -hmm. be resistant, sure. which is not exactly what happens. That's why everyone it's tells you to finish the whole yeah. course, right? So he said, penicillin's not poisonous. There's no need to worry about an overdose. You should, though, worry about under-dosage. And then the... The next thing he said, he gives this example. He says that Mr. X has a sore throat, and he buys some penicillin, and he gives himself not enough to kill all this, all the uh, streptococci, but enough to educate <laughs> the microbes to resist penicillin. So again, he's confused here. He then infects his wife, and she dies. So the moral of the story here is that if you use penicillin, use enough. So this this has had some very very lasting impacts right and you mentioned that yeah the, yeah yeah even on the pill bottle if you get a prescription that says take say, everything take all the pills yep and why why would they say that 
so that you aren't leaving any leftover bacteria that might be sort of the halfway survivors. Yeah, so you don't want to leave any halfway survivors. Yeah. You want to you want to kill them all. So that, right. that this is this is what Fleming was saying, and this is why we see that on your antibiotic pill bottle. This is why doctors think this. This is why patients think this. Everybody thinks this is true, and it really isn't. And so we'll, later on, I have a, I have some information that will kind of contradict this idea, and we need to get over Alexander Fleming's bad advice. And the other point is that he talked about educating. The streptococci. That's not what's going on here, right? You know, no. What's happening? This is a process of evolution. Yep. And and we'll we'll describe how that happens. Yeah. Some are dying. Some are not. Some are dying. Yeah. Ooh, Timeline cool. of antibiotic resistance for people that haven't seen this image. Check it out. And what it shows That's is that cool. when antibiotics get get introduced into, into medical use and get prescriptions and people start taking them, it doesn't take very long for resistance to happen. So. I think up top it shows the, the date at which antibiotics are deployed. Yep. And then on the bottom it shows when resistance evolves and becomes wow. widespread. And it doesn't take very long. It's just a matter of, of, of a few years. So it's kind of remarkable that we're able to use antibiotics at all. And this is just, this is just a fact of life that in the hospital where I work, patients are going to have resistance. They're going to they're be infected with organisms that have evolved this resistance to antibiotics. And we see this in the infections that we're trying to treat. And it's making things really, really tricky. And it's kind of remarkable that anybody gets better with I this know, widespread right? resistance. And part of the answer is that we still we still have an immune system. So even if we do prescribe an antibiotic that has partial effectiveness, mm -hmm. the fact that you have an immune system means that you're yeah. going to probably get better, unless you're really sick, in which case you're not. Right. Looks like erythromycin is the longest running one. So we don't see I erythromycin? Think. Yeah. Well, it's in there, but it's right. it's got the longest gap between so deployment and resistance. Part of that might be because, you know, they introduced it, but it never never really took off. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. part of the thing is that, you know, it wasn't super popular. So sure. maybe and erythromycin causes some stomach upset, makes people, you know, feel feel bad. So we certainly prescribe it sometimes for people that have a penicillin allergy. Mm -hmm. And I remember being prescribed erythromycin uh, after I got my rash. Yeah. But I think that what's happening there is they just didn't use it for a decade or two. Gotcha. There you go. But yeah, everything else, it's like within five or ten years. And then, yeah. And then stuff. Yeah, that, there's going to be a pop quiz, guys. <laughs> right. Stuff that we think of as being a last ditch sort of antibiotic lamazolid and daptomycin yep. that are at the very end there. You right. see that the resistance happened, boom, just like that. Yep. It doesn't take very long when these, when these things get used. Wow. So. Yeah, resistance happens, it evolves, it's scary, and that's why one of the taglines of this episode is going to be that evolution kills. Yeah. So if evolution kills, we, we need yep. to think of evolutionary strategies to keep that from happening. The buzzwordification has begun. Yep. <laughs> Good question. What happens when resistance becomes common and there are no new antibiotics? It's a scary place. So we can talk about some strategies. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> and like I said, since I've been in medical school, I've actually seen antibiotics become useless. Dang. Things that we used to prescribe, say for gonorrhea, um, we, we have to use a different regimen now because of, of resistance. And it makes us think about what is going to happen when we don't have them anymore. Mm -hmm. And if we go back to this post-antibiotic era, if that happens, we're kind of going to be in trouble. Ooh, another one. <laughs> Hope for the post-antibiotic era. So what would that hope look like? 
So maybe we can make some new antibiotics. Yeah. Maybe they work in different pathways. Maybe we should be smarter about the antibiotics that yeah. we use. Um, maybe we should harness our microbiome. Maybe we should good. all get fecal transplants. Yeah. We'll save that one again. Okay. <laughs> the best for last. There are more here. We can, there we are can many. proceed through this. Yeah, so this that, that headline talks about this multi-drug resistance TB. Mm. And it's scary because if you have one of these drugs, then there may be nothing that are microbes and like tuberculosis that is multi-drug resistant, mm -hmm. then people will die. And yeah. we read in the, in the 1800s about, in fact, Charles Darwin's daughter, I think, had tuberculosis. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, so they called it consumption. Right, I was going to say, it used to be called consumption. Yeah, so yep. we're going to be back to this era of people just dropping dead because of tuberculosis. Hopefully not. Scary. Pan-drug-resistant gram-negative bacteria. Yeah, so this whole series of headlines. Wow, they all have post-antibiotic kind of era in them. Which is interesting. Staph deadlier than AIDS? Wow. And that might actually be true. Dang. That's old, too. I mean, Staph, Staph aureus, yeah, these are, these are a bit older. Now we have some effective antiviral medications for AIDS, but or for HIV. But even there, we see resistance. Sure. Yeah. yeah. That actually brings me to a, 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 some, a one strategy that we can use mm -hmm. which is like no one who has hiv gets treated with a single kind of antiviral. right it's a cocktail right get a cocktail yeah yeah why do they get a cocktail um i'm guessing it's to combat resistance exactly so if you're treated with three or four different kinds of antivirals that all target different st mm -hmm. stages of the, of the virus replicating it's much harder for the virus to then evolve simultaneous resistance to all of those different things so that's one way that we can actually get around this. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. We don't do that so much for UTIs. We yeah, I would guess single. not. Right. Yeah, yeah. But for sick people that, that we treat for sepsis, mm -hmm. we almost always give at least two. Sure. That makes sense since mm -hmm. it's more systemic. Right. Um, so how long, we have a question, how long before the global pandemic that brings civilization to its knees? That is well, a very skill, question. scary I mean, question. Every time we see something like Ebola, which is viral, yeah. you wonder if that's going to be the next pandemic. And I mean, even the flu yeah. right now is breaking records at, and people are dying. And yeah, It's epidemic flu. Yeah. And we worry about things like the avian flu. Yep. For many years, we worried about H1N1 flu, which is the right. same strain that caused the Spanish flu mm -hmm. epidemic in 1918. That's killed the swine flu, right? So it's... So I think that the more recent one, they did call it the swine flu. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was what, 2010? Something like that. I think. And it didn't kill as many people as we thought. It was a yeah. pandemic. I remember getting the vaccine kill people, to it. But it wasn't as deadly as it certainly has as it had been in 1918. Sure, right. And part of that might be the fact that we have antibiotics for super infections. So if you mm -hmm. get a pneumonia, it's oftentimes caused by bacteria, and we can treat that with antibiotics, at least for now. Yeah, so for now, question. that is scary. So we I need mean, to be yeah. on the alert for this. Thank goodness we do have a good epidemiologists. Mm -hmm. The CDC is super important. Right. This is um, a small moment for, for Soapbox talking where we it. should make sure that we are funding these types of agencies yeah. properly so that they can, you know, save us from right. epidemics, pandemics, all the things. Unfortunately, the CDC really is 
they, they have a sense of uh, being both underfunded and also just not being prioritized. But yeah. I don't actually understand why the current administration doesn't think that public health is a problem. Yeah. I don't get it. Right. Yeah. And then there's the whole other mm -hmm. argument about what actually constitutes a public health issue, too. But that's a larger question <laughs> for <maybe>. another day. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, um, which flu is the worst? Do we know? Or the most deadly? So the one that is... is that people are worried about most now is the is the avian flu, which right. hasn't had hasn't really you know, there's been those taken mini, hold, mini right? epidemics, yeah. just small outbreaks in places like China. Mm -hmm. It hasn't because it has that much higher mortality rate. That's the one that people are worried about. Gotcha. And I forget if that's H one N three. Anyway, they all, they all have like this that. this little acronym with H's yeah. and N's that we could get into. <coughs> um, hemagglutinin and neuraminidases. Anyway. Mm. That's uh, next level stuff. Yes, we don't need to go there. Nope. Okay, so how, how does, does it work? How does resistance evolve? So this little picture, we have a bunch of little circles, and the colors indicate the you know, mutants that have variability in their ability to live in the presence of antibiotics. So the darker ones actually can survive with higher concentrations of antibiotics, and that's the original population. There's lots, lots of variation. Yep. And there's, usually there's variation in every trait that we look at when we look at uh, large populations. When we then give antibiotics, the overall number of microbes goes down, but the ones that are left are the ones that carry those mutations that, that lend them the ability to survive with the antibiotics. So, and then they proliferate. Yeah, and there's more of them. Then after if you, This actually happens every time that you are given a prescription of antibiotics in your body. Right. Because... The microbes that live in you and on you, they have some variation in mm -hmm. their resistance patterns. And what you're doing is you're selecting for the ones that, that are resistance. So we'll, I'll show this to you later. But this is just pure natural selection. Yeah. The antibiotics are selecting for the ones that are resistance, resistant. And the end result is that we get infections with untreatable pathogens. Scary stuff. This would be probably a good opportunity to kind of explain the the specific forces that drive evolution. Okay. So we've already mentioned several of them. Um, so number one, variation. You have to have variation present in the population um, yeah, in so order to have any form of evolution whatsoever. So you're talking, yeah, we're talking about, I think you're talking about the four, right. Right, yeah, the, 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 it's, it actually comes from, from the origin of species so that keep, he originally, yeah. So you've got variation. That variation needs to be heritable, so mm -hmm. it's something that you would pass down to um, further generations. So what's um, an example of an unheritable trait? Um, let's see. A broken bone. Okay. There you go. A haircut. A haircut. Or, yeah, if you shaved your head, yeah. would your children be bald? Probably no, not. They would not. Whether or not you have a beard is not necessarily inherit or uninheritable. But right. whether or not you let it grow is. <laughs> right. And male pattern baldness, though, is a heritable trait. Yes, exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we've got one representative here, at least. Um, so, yes, you have to have variation. That variation has to be heritable. And then that, and uh, oh, I skipped one. Sorry. There has to be competition for resources. That's technically number two. Um, so you don't in, have to have that. Well, so the the idea being that if you have to compete against other individuals, then the fitness differences that come out of whatever advantage you may or may not have in a given environment 
will matter. So competition right. is one of the features that can drive selection for different traits. Yeah. Definitely. Right. Um, yes. And then, yeah. And then the final one is that that variation that is also heritable is also going to give you a fitness advantage. So it would actually um, increase your ability to have viable offspring, meaning offspring that get born, survive to their own reproductive um, maturity, and then they can also have viable offspring. Continue. So, yeah. So all, all life on Earth has, has these features. Right. And the... You know, this is how natural selection operates. Right. Yeah. So we did have Darwin Day since our, since we the did yeah. on it was this Monday. It was Monday. Twelfth. Yeah. Yeah. So yep. Darwin had two awesome ideas. One is that all the diversity of life on this planet derived from a com common ancestor. Yep. So and, and through a process of evolution, and evolution wasn't so much his idea, but his idea that he also that was also shared by. Alfred Wallace yep. is that the way by which this evolution happens and speciation happens, the major way is natural selection. Yes. So what we're showing you here with these little microbes, and I, this is what I talk to my medical students about all the time, is that antibiotics, microbes, and resistance is just a perfect, perfect yes. example of evolution by natural selection. Right. And we don't think about that. In a relatively small time scale too, yeah. which is why it's so instructive for us because you know in in human time scale it's almost impossible to really see evolution happening it's literally happening within hours yeah yep so it's crazy it, it doesn't require decades or millennia we're, we're seeing we're seeing evolution in real time yeah and when we doctors are prescribing the antibiotics we are agents of natural selection and so i think that that's also an insight that that people need to have Okay, so we have a question related to this, um, and I'm I might ask for some clarification here, Kimosh. Um, so, how does the ordered information come about in the first place for it to then be chosen through natural selection? So, it's not being chosen by natural selection per se. Um, so, maybe you might have to give me some more clarification about what you're actually asking, but. You're not natural selection is not choosing. It's it's just that there is some sort of pressure being exerted on something, and you're either going to survive or you're not. Yeah. And then that's ultimately changing the proportion of individuals within a population that carry whatever trait. And in this case, it is resistance that is the trait that um, ends up surviving. Right. So. Um, the next comment. I can't wait until. We, we grow, grow another, another pair of eyes so we can watch two episodes <laughs> of the office at once. <laughs> Probably That's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Now, there are there are organisms that have multiple eyes. Yes, spiders. Like scallops. Oh, scallops have lots of yeah, eyes. Yeah, a whole bunch of eyes. I'm not even sure I knew scallops had eyes at all. Scallops have eyes, but wow, as humans, we're cool. kind of limited to the two that we have. Yeah, that's true. Good point. Binocular vision. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. So uh, also comment from Aon. Uh, to be the voice of optimism, which I always appreciate, uh, there are more scientists on Earth working for a positive future than ever before in history. That's a good thing. It is. Nice to thought. play devil's advocate, right. <laughs> there are also more people working towards a less positive future than ever before in history. But we're going to ignore that for right now. <laughs> let's, mm -hmm. let's hold on to the first sentiment, right. though. I, I know I will certainly try. Um, dude, cuddle, cuttlefish skin. 
that's a really fantastic example of cool variation. Yeah, um, you can change colors too. Yeah, so it's an example of plasticity. Yes, 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 yes. All kinds of that's fun stuff. That's my jam. Um. Uh, okay. Anyway, yeah, let's keep going. Cool. All right. Okay. So Solutions. right now we do have all these antibiotics. We've mentioned some, and we'd like to keep them around. So what can we do to make this happen? We can make new ones, and that seems to be what people have focused on. Right. In fact, there was something that came out recently, I think this week, where there was some soil organism that actually made an a, possibly a new class of antibiotics that people got excited about. So that's one thing that we can do. But if you remember that timeline, it's happening less and less. Right. And we're kind of running out of different ways that we can target and, you know, sure. microbes. Yeah. If you think about it, so penicillin inhibits the cell wall of a bacterium. And if, if there's a, you know, there might be a multi kind of purpose way of a bacterium combating that. So you can come up with a completely different class of antibiotics and, and, and the bacteria may have resistance even before it gets deployed because the mechanism by which they are resistant to penicillin will then confer um, resistance to others. Hmm. So one example of that is just that they have pumps that pump out the antibiotic. Huh. So that's one mechanism that, that can make it tougher and tougher for us to find new ones. So designing new antibiotics has, has issues. Right. How about the second one, limiting prescriptions? I've learned about this and I've been taught this and I teach my students in medical school this, mm -hmm. that we shouldn't use antibiotics unless we have to. Right. But this also has, has some serious problems because you can have all, all the doctors in the world can be super, really, super good about prescribing antibiotics only for the people that need them. And that's going to be way better than, say, in India or in Latin America, where oftentimes you can just go to the, if you're sick, go to a drugstore and the, and the pharmacist will give you an antibiotic without a prescription. So in places where antibiotics are more regulated, we're going to have a little bit better time. But the bottom line is that antibiotics work by killing microbes. Things that kill exert natural selection. So this right. is exact. This is just. Yep. And, and so really it's just a, it's a function of how much of the stuff is used. So we, we can we can ignore all the individual prescribing habits of doctors, and we can just go to the factory. How much are they pumping out every day that's going out on the assembly line mm -hmm. and going into trucks? And then you can measure how much resistance is in the population, and lo and behold, mm -hmm. it's a nice linear right. line. And that, that work's been done. That's been happening a lot with the opioid epidemic as well. It's pretty much the same thing. Yeah. So you can get docs to yeah be careful about opioids, but really, <laughs> these really, really powerful medications, mm -hmm. They, they drive these biological phenomena right. just because they're used. Yep. Yep. And if they're being pumped out into a community at ridiculous rates, yep. they're going to get used probably. So the third thing that people thought about is, well, gosh, if we can't make new ones and we can't really convince doctors to not prescribe them very much, then maybe we could just say, okay, this week we're going to use just superfloxacin. And then next the next time frame, we're just going to use penicillin. If we cycle between them, Pill we, can, mills, yes. we can give the, the microbes time to kind of revert back to their sensitive state, and then we can kill them the next time. So that's been something that has been looked at. Okay. So I think that we have a next right. slide about that. Oops. There we go. Oh. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. This well, is designing new antibiotics. So yeah. we've, yeah, we've kind we've of talked about this yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't work. All right. I mean, it does work. Yeah. But it's got its issues. The cycling antibiotics. There was this is an example of it where they go between penicillin 
cephalosporins, fluoroquinolones, and then carbapenems, which are like a synthetic kind of penicillin. And so this, this has actually been looked at, it's been tried in hospitals. This is a, a study that was done long ago, and it didn't work. And then Carl Bergstrom is an evolutionary biologist and also is pretty prominent in evolutionary medicine. Mm -hmm. He did a study that showed that it doesn't work. I think that's the next slide. So this was a, he, he just did the, he did the math and he modeled it. And he showed, it really suggested using computer modeling that cycling might not work. That's all fine and good to have, to have a modeling technique. And the evolutionary biologists use that a lot. Sure. But we really care what happens in the real world. And in fact, a study came out during the last couple of weeks, which I think is the next slide. This came out in the Lancet, the Lancet. where they really they did, they did exactly this. And this is a big study where they, over many, many patients, they tried to cycle between various antibiotic classes. Uh, they did it. They did the study correctly. It was a, a, a well-designed trial, um, randomized, not always the case. <laughs> exactly. There's bad ways to do studies. Yep. This is a good one. Take-home point: cycling doesn't work. So if you're a sick person in an ICU and the doc say, "Hey, we have a solution to the resistance problem. We're just going to cycle," it just it, it hasn't worked. It hasn't worked in hmm. real life. It doesn't mean that it, it could work. In fact, there's another biologist. Her name is Miriam Barlow, and she's done some really cool work that at least in the lab they they're maybe under very very certain circumstances you can cycle and possibly get resistance to to kind of evolve away and so it remains to be seen but really this has not worked so if designing new ones doesn't work limiting antibiotics doesn't work cycling doesn't work what are we going to do here's the limiting limiting should we keep going well i mean we do this this happens in hospitals mm, okay. we have these big gun antibiotics usually they have more side effects oftentimes mm. we can only give them in an intravenous line so that kind of limits their use yeah right? for sure you can't get them in a pill and so we do this and we think it's helpful but we can't keep every antibiotic on a shelf and in fact even these ones that we we think of as being antibiotics as last resort we're still seeing resistance evolving which is a bit of a problem we do have a question yeah um and I may ask for some clarification again, Kimash, so let me know if I'm not interpreting this correctly. I'm wondering how the entire biological engine of an E. coli bacterium gets to that stage. What stage? Um, since without all the mechanisms, i.e. flagellar filament hook, outer inner membrane, motor, blah, 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 bunch of stuff. Um, the E. coli bacteria cannot survive for natural selection to move it to the next stage according to selective pressure. So I think I think I have an answer, but I'm not entirely sure. So please tell me if I am not interpreting your question properly. Um, so it's not necessarily like an individual E. coli bacterium is somehow changing in response an individual one in response to natural selection. It's that that E. coli bacterium already before the antibiotic comes into the system, there's already some variation in that bacterium that they already had. And then that particular trait that they have um, shows up in some percentage of the population, um, the frequency of that trait. And then if that trait is tied to um, 
surviving the antibiotics or not if you have it if you don't have it then the next stage i think what you're what you're saying with the next stage is the next set uh, or the next population i think um, and so it's not so it's not like the bacterium itself is somehow changing from stage to stage it's just that the composition of the population as a whole changes the e coli themselves don't change it's just the composition that changes does that make sense um, makes some sense and the, the, the other piece is that there are there are plasmids and these are little circular bits of dna that can actually that bacteria will mm. share with their offspring and those, these plasmids can actually contain little bits of code that, that allow them to to resist antibiotics right. yes. the really interesting thing about these plasmids is that they can be shared between unrelated bacteria Oh, and we'll show you a picture of that. Interesting. So that, that's called horizontal transmission. So um, follow up question. Where does that mm -hmm. trait come from? So it could be mutation, right? Mm -hmm. um, it could be inherited from their ancestors. Um, there's a whole bunch of ways that variation can sort of become introduced into into a population. But um, mutation is probably the most commonly talked about one. Yeah. Um, and how does it survive? It, it or become selected for unless there is a survival advantage that's exactly what it is is it is a survival advantage but, um, but there, that that yeah. comment actually has a really key point which is that in the absence of antibiotics right we're not going to see so much resistance. you won't see it right it can so, be invisible yeah that survival advantage only means something in the presence of whatever selective pressure yeah. would give it that survival advantage but remember the antibiotics they come from natural organisms, most of them, including yeah. soil and, you know, a bread fungus. Sure. So what we have to pay attention to is the fact that these microbes are busy fighting each other and they're deploying these antibiotics as tools to gain some kind of an advantage. Right. Which tells us that we would expect to see antibiotic resistance in wild populations. And in fact, yes. we do. Right. So that's true also. Cool. And they even, they even there was a study done a couple of years ago where they took... Um, tooth plaque from mummies oh and they were able to sequence the bacteria no and way they even could tell the proteins that the bacteria were producing wow and they were able to show that there were anti there was antibiotic resistant genes in, already in these long before antibiotics in actually before any antibiotics were yeah. ever prescribed as a pill wow that's really interesting yeah so little, yeah little is that what does that tell us then that maybe there's something else that would would have selected for that gene maybe there's some sort of pleiotropic effect or something meaning that there are multiple sort of side effects that come from yeah um from a single gene it's a bit unexpected because we wouldn't think that these genes would be widespread in humans right and I know, I, clearly we don't have the whole answer for why that happens mm -hmm. but the implication that they've been fighting each other even before sure. humans ever existed, hmm. is an yeah. important one. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, but yeah, thanks for your question. If you if you have more questions or whatever, um, I will put the link in chat for our Discord so you can come hang out with, with us in our Discord and we can continue the conversation later. Um, so. so let's go. Let's go past yes. this slide. Okay. You know, we do tell I do tell people to avoid unnecessary antibiotics. I right. try to educate patients 
certainly if they have a virus, the antibiotics are not going to help. Yes. And that's probably thing, like the number one thing that needs to be in a worldwide PSA. <laughs> and pediatricians are telling patients now and their parents that ear infections will go away on their own. So oh. it's kind of like your UTI example. Yeah, yeah. Painful, kids crying, yeah. they're unhappy. But if they're self-limited and go away on their own, then there's no point in giving them antibiotics. Mm -hmm. So we try to avoid that in, in children sometimes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Particularly since we know that giving antibiotics might cause yep. you know, anaphylaxis in some kids and then bad changes to the microbiome in others. Yeah. All right, All right so, this, so what is this? Uh, this what slide, are these graphs? The red color is an antibiotic-resistant strain. Okay. So what this shows is these. this is actually an um, experimental model. This is work done by Andrew Reed who is a phenomenal researcher, biologist, who's looked at this. And the, the top graph shows almost no red because the antibiotics weren't being used at all. So there was some resistance there, but it was kind of overwhelmed by, by uh, sensitive strains. And he, he did, under this experiment, they gave different amounts and durations of antibiotics. And the bottom graph shows antibiotics given for the longest amount of time. And in this model, what they showed was that the resistance strains, the red ones, became totally overwhelming the longer they used the antibiotics. Wow. So this is this is analogous to what happens in us. If we have a you know an infection, say pneumonia or even a bladder infection, and we give a long course of antibiotics, the longer the course, the more resistance you get. And if you get a recurrence of the infection, the next time that you try to treat it, it's gonna be resistant to those drugs that worked the first time, maybe. So Andrew Reed has done some very cool work. The take-home point is here, if you can get away with a short course of antibiotics, right. you should do it because it's not going to cause as much resistance. <clears throat> so this is from that same study. So he writes, in our initial selection experiments, no parasites survived aggressive chemotherapy, but after selection, the fitness advantage for resistant parasites was greatest at the high drug doses. Mm. So what he's saying here is that sometimes if every parasite or a microbe is sensitive you can give big doses and you can kill them all mm -hmm. that's kind of what alexander fleming was saying yes right but the other situation is if already there are mutations that give some of those parasites some resistance then you're in big trouble because all you're going to get at the end of your antibiotic yep. course is resistant ones and the more the the longer you take them the stronger you the stronger they are the more resistant they have to be in order to actually survive so you have this sort of additional push towards it's like a matter of degree of resistance too so you might get some resistant ones that are you know just a little bit resistant that maybe something else could kick, kill it off or whatever it is but then if you keep hammering at them the only thing that will ever survive are the most resistant aggressive strains so this happens in people and there's some there's some images coming up that uh -huh. we'll show that. well this <laughs> is the this is a, a cartoonist. Her name is Beatrice, the biologist, and I like her. Um, she's really cool. Her, her cartoons are great. Nice. But she <laughs> she has not learned the lesson yet. Right. And she still is with her cartoons trying to encourage people to take the entire course of antibiotics. So here yep. says, no, hold on, Johnson. The human didn't take the full course of antibiotics. You're going to make it. And then I, I left out the next panel here, but it shows the, <laughs> you know, the remarkable recovery of this microbe. <laughs> but this, this image is not just doesn't kind of hold true right so let's take a look at the next one so this is recent 2017 mm. the antibiotic course has had its day 
And so this is an editorial, and it was based on a research study that showed basically, you know, if you are given a course of antibiotics for 10 days, but you start feeling better on day two, then maybe you should stop taking the antibiotics. All right. So this was, again, I'm not telling you to do this. Sure. But there are people like these authors that are advocating just that. Okay. They say that we shouldn't be telling people to take the whole course of antibiotics because all that's doing is driving more resistance. Mm -hmm. It's resistance that can hurt a person. Right. The person taking the antibiotics because they might get sick from these resistant bugs. So, and this is what Andrew Rita said too, is that maybe we should just let the immune system mop up after a couple of days of antibiotics, let the immune system take care just of the Kind of help it. it along a little and then let it yeah. do its thing. So for urinary tract infections, I will prescribe a two or three day course of antibiotics. Mm -hmm. Some of my colleagues write for a seven or 10 day course. I, I would say earlier on in my life, every time I've gotten antibiotics prescribed, it was 10 days. Now mm. I, I don't think I've seen anything more than three days in a long time. So maybe, maybe people are getting the message. But this is an easy thing that we can do differently as doctors. Right. We can prescribe a shorter course. And what I think patients don't understand is that there isn't any book that says that you have to give a 10-day course. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the research that we base this information on, that antibiotics work for different things, the duration and even the dose is a little squishy. Sure. And it's not, not actually written in stone. Right. So we have some leeway. Okay. And what I tell my trainees is, okay, there's leeway. We know about this stuff. We know about Andrew Reed's research. Yep. We should give short courses. We should give lower doses and all of that. That's interesting, too, because it takes the burden off of the consumer, right? Mm -hmm. So this sort of PSA that we're talking about where everybody should know that you don't need antibiotics for a virus and maybe this whole you have to take the whole course of antibiotics thing is actually doing us more harm than good. It's really difficult to get that kind of thing into the public consciousness. It yeah. takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of money. Um, it takes people paying attention and listening to you, and they may or may not do that, right? right? But if you put the burden on the doctors, which is a whole other thing you have to put effort into, but if you put it put the burden on the doctors, then even if people still believe, oh, I have to take the full course of antibiotics, it's a short enough one that it's not going to do that damage, right? Yeah. I think that's so they a, can that's continue a... believing that same stuff, right? But then it's less damaging. That's a right? really, really, that's a good insight. Yeah. Never blame the patient. Yeah. Right. This is not yeah. really their fault. Sure. And I think that like even that cartoon it kind of implies that the blame of res problem yeah, resistance they did something wrong because the patient yeah did not yeah. take their full course yeah that's probably bullshit people right sorry yeah I, I think i think that 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 lesson is completely off base you know apologies to beatrice the biologist I yeah do like <laughs> maybe check out her other other cartoons yeah. yeah uh what if we could make the antibiotics that make the microbes or whatever evolve in a specific way the antibiotics evolve so, this, so is there a strategy where we could we we could actually push the evolution in a different way, and that's a really so that's kind of the idea between behind cycling, antibiotics is that maybe we could actually make the evolution happen, in a way which is favorable. Okay. So people have looked at this, and I guess the short answer to this is yes. If there and the insight is that if this is an evolutionary problem, it's going to need an evolutionary solution. Sure. And we probably can 
make organisms evolve towards sensitivity. There are researchers working on this very problem. Mm, that's very so cool. Really, really cool. That's I can't a give really you any interesting prospect. examples. Yeah. But I do know some some researchers that are looking at this. They're trying to cool. evolve a pathogen that, you know, giving them a certain kind of medication or treatment that relies on that so that organism becomes dependent mm -hmm. on a certain exposure, and then if you take it away, they all perish. Right. So there's some there's some cool things kind of going on here. Interesting. I love those those ideas. Yeah, sorry, I I totally misread your thing. I was like, we can't make antibiotics evolve. They aren't alive. Right. They are chemicals. But anyway, we got you. Gotcha. That is very cool. Very, very Great cool. Great point. At least it won't hurt. Mm. So this doctors and patients might think this. Like, gosh, this whole esoteric problem of resistance. Something that happens in like the somebody else. For me personally, I want my antibiotics. The doctor says, well, you want something, I can just prescribe it to you, get you out of the office. You know, what's going to be the harm to you? And what this paper says is that actually there is a problem that's going to happen to you. And what is shown here, there's all these little graphs um, showing different, this is, this is, these are different kinds of microbes that were sampled. And then after the antibiotics, you, you see that the last, last column there is all green. And that green is vancomycin-resistant enterococcus. Mm. It's a bad one. Okay. And then what you see at the bottom there is a little red panel. Mm -hmm. And that is bacteremia, where the, where the VRE goes into the bloodstream and makes people extremely sick. And then some of these people die. Wow. So what, what these people are saying is that this idea that, you know, what can it hurt to give a course of antibiotics? They're saying that actually it really can hurt you. Yeah. Because if you get, if we select for these really, really bad microbes in your microbiome, they were actually looking at gut microbes here, those microbes can then decide to make you really sick with a bloodstream infection. Right. That's exactly what they showed here. So this, again, we're getting back to the microbiome. We're always colonized by microbes and we're never sterile, even if we get courses of antibiotics. Right. So those antibiotics, they are selecting for resistance in the microbiome. What this paper showed, which is super cool, is that that kind of selection can make you sick. In fact, it can kill you. So I told you evolution can kill. This is an example of it. And this is where the microbiome is kind of participating in that process. And it's a problem of evolution. So to kind of go along with that, um, eating yogurt when you take antibiotics. I've been told this all my life. Yeah. I have, actually. Yeah. So I, I haven't. Really? Yeah. I, I have been told, maybe it's because my mom's a nurse. I don't know. But your mom, like, your mom is smart. But uh, yeah, I have been told to eat yogurt to essentially repopulate my gut flora uh, yeah. while taking antibiotics. So, so um, there's, there's, that's another there's thing. good evidence for that. Yeah. And you might think, well, I'm taking an antibiotic. Yes. Why well, would it be a good idea to take a probiotic, a yogurt, right. which are living microbes? Wouldn't they also all be killed by the antibiotic? I think the lesson is that the antibiotic doesn't kill all of them. Sure. And just the presence of those beneficial yeah. microbes can do some good. You're keeping these sorts of normal ratios of species mm -hmm. to species to species in your gut more in check. So it, it makes it less likely that one single species that could be very uh, detrimental to you can't sort of become the dominant player in your gut. It's a little less likely if you keep pushing new stuff in there that's good, So I suppose. Yeah, so the idea of giving a probiotic instead of an antibiotic right. under certain circumstances and certainly giving probiotics or yogurt 
along with antibiotics, that's something that has a lot of evidence for it. Yeah. I wasn't taught that in medical school. We weren't treated that way growing up. Hmm. My mom was not a nurse. Yeah. We didn't get our yogurt. I was very lucky. I got way too many courses that. of antibiotics. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Aon makes a really good point here. They can absolutely kill your good bacteria. That's kind mm -hmm. of why this becomes a problem. Right. So especially if you're talking about a broad spectrum where it could be killing off a whole bunch of different things as opposed to one that's more narrow that can only target certain, yeah. like the gram negative, gram negative or gram positive types of bacteria or something. And as far as messages that like parents of children or patients will accept, if you tell someone, hey, I'm going to prescribe you this antibiotic for your cold. Mm -hmm. and, but maybe we shouldn't do it because of resistance in the population. People simply don't care yeah, about that. Right. And they're going to be like, go ahead and give me the antibiotics. Yep. But if you tailor the message and you say, you know what? If I prescribe this to you, it's going to select for some really bad bugs in your gut. might make, make you, you sicker. Sick. Um, you might get another kind of infection called Clostridium difficile by mm -hmm. wiping out all the good microbes in your guts. And it... The infection that you then get is going to be resistant to antibiotics and it might kill you. Then, the, then at right. that point, they're like, oh, huh, maybe you're right. Maybe It's I, maybe, suddenly not about the population. Maybe doc, it's I don't about, want the antibiotic. It's about them. You know, and I'm talking about patients with colds. Yep. If you think that patients with colds don't get treated with antibiotics, you got another thing coming because mm -hmm. it happens all the time. And I can't even believe the number of my colleagues, doctors that know better, who will, right. will take antibiotics for when they get a cold. Yeah. And again, a cold That's is crazy. viral. Yep. And viruses don't get killed by antibiotics. Yep. So it's all bad. No potential for good and all the potential for badness. Right. Um, another good point from Anne. Um, fermented foods. Mm -hmm. So this goes back to microbiome stuff mm -hmm. as well. Fermented foods. Yeah. Fermented foods are all good for you. Have you had your fermented food today? I have had fermented food today. What'd you have? I had um, pickled carrot mm -hmm. and daikon on tacos that I had for lunch. That sounds pretty awesome. It was delicious. We made it ourselves the other day. Um, so yeah, anything that's got, that has the potential to, it, it's really just repopulating that it's the same kind of thing. It's, it's probiotic sort of, or maybe it's prebiotic or fermented foods. I mean, they're probably, well, probably inoculated both. with things too, but then well, it's both, actually, so. so actually, so something like fermented daikon mm -hmm. is going to have the prebiotic, which is the food for the probiotic, yeah. it's actually going to contain right. some, some probably lactobacillus bacteria. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And it's also going to have a whole bunch of metabolites that also do good things for you connect, can, that can be protective, yep. including the stuff that makes it taste a little bit sour, like acetic acid. <laughs> so the metabolites actually do good things for you, too. Renegade says, I had some bread that had mold on it, so mm, I'm good. <laughs> Love yeah. mold. Yep. Old school penicillin. Mm -hmm. It's like pre-penicillin. <laughs> Um, okay, I have one more question, and then okay. we can keep on going. Um, how about preemptive antibiotics? For example, you have a surgery, mm. and in order to cut down on the risks of getting a post-surgical infection at the incision site, um, it's common for, for, for people to get antibiotics preemptively to basically just combat any potential risks for infection. Where's the question? Um, how bad is that? Um, so that is kind of the standard it's of a, care. It's a risk-benefit analysis, probably. And the idea is that you're reducing the density of the bacteria mm -hmm. that are on your skin, or if they're doing like a surgery in your bowel, like taking sure. your appendix, where you don't want the little 
gut bowel microbes right. to then leak out yeah, and cause yeah, problems. Yeah, yeah, That'd so be really it's bad. it's really, really common to get antibiotics for that. And the data, as far as I know, mm -hmm. supports that practice. Okay. But you're saying, could there be a downside? And I think that, yeah, yes, right. the answer is yeah, yes, yeah. that we could be doing exactly these things, increasing the risk of C. diff infections, mm -hmm. making it more likely that if you do get a complication, it's going to be with a resistant bug. Sure. All those things are, are real. So that, that's absolutely true. And then, then uh, the other example is women that go in for a C-section. Uh -huh. And their babies are born, you know, surgically. Those women also get antibiotics. Right. They get ANSEF. Sure. So if you think about it, the, the kid that's being born into this world, they're they're not going to get that normal kind of bacterial mm -hmm. exposure. Right. They're not going to go through the vaginal canal. They're going to be white. They're going to be treated with broad spectrum antibiotics. Yeah. And then a lot of times those kids end up being formula fed and not breastfed. Mm -hmm. All those things decrease the normal population. So that's another example of where this kind of um, prophylactic use of antibiotics sure. can backfire and can cause problems. Gotcha. Um, I suppose that kind of goes back to the limiting that we can do, right? Mm -hmm. Where we, there are some situations where the benefits of taking the antibiotics certainly outweigh the risks right. to the individual or to the population. And so if we can truly limit the ones where that is not true, and there is not as much benefit to it, or it's just really not needed for things like an ear infection or whatever, then it leaves a little bit more room for the, the times where we really do need it and, and have that still be effective. That's, that's a great point. So, and there's some data on this too. Oh, okay, cool. So the, the terrible, overwhelming infection that people get is called sepsis. Mm -hmm. that's, that was shown in this, in this image here. Right. The bacteremia. The bloodstream. Bloodstream infection. Yep. So... There are data that show that if you have been treated with antibiotics for like an ear infection or a bladder infection or a whatever in six months before you get diagnosed with sepsis, your mortality goes through the roof. You're much more likely to die. Yikes. And so that is probably a twofold problem. Mm -hmm. So one is that the previous antibiotics selected for resistant yep. microbes. And two, some of the beneficial microbes that are in your guts probably went away. Yep. And that combination can be fatal. So it's a little scary. And well, that's another example of where if I'm going to talk to my patients, I'll say, you know, we're learning that giving unnecessary antibiotics has some serious downsides. With a, with a surgery example, I do think that's that, that's something that I do. Right. Someone's going to surgery, I'll give them a dose of antibiotics. Mm -hmm. I do think that it is supported, but we should be thinking about these downsides yep. also. Yeah, absolutely. Even my dogs who've had some teeth removed, they get, if they have teeth removed during that particular dental cleaning mm -hmm. bout, they get a course of antibiotics. Or puppies. I know, yeah. But uh, it's better than them getting dry socket or yeah. something. <laughs> um, all right, let's keep on going. Aha, the horizontal gene transfer yeah, that we so brought up earlier. Bacteria that... I like that image. <laughs> that are, you know, we, usually genes get passed like mother to daughter. Mm -hmm. That's how we think about it with, with, right. with bacteria. That's vertical. That's vertical transmission. But I talked about these little plasmids, which are these little free, these little circular bits of, of DNA. They can get transmitted between bacteria by That's this so horizontal gene transfer. There's like a little extension called a pilus that goes wow. out, and it actually attaches to bacteria, and they can share plasmids back and forth. And if there are antibiotics, 
then this this plasmid sharing kind of goes crazy. Is this within a species or among species of bacteria? Do we know? You know what? Let's let's, let's toss that out to the audience. Yeah. And, and find out. Um, it's certainly within species and strains. Sure. Um, I don't know how often it happens between species. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder too. Hmm. I mean, I could totally see some sort of selection pressure that one is evolving this mechanism within mm -hmm. a species, right? So if, if you find this really beneficial gene and you want it to be in everybody, right? right. Um, I mean, you as a bacterium, it's not like you have consciousness, but... But if it was a beneficial um, thing, and, and, and actually the bacteria behave as if it's beneficial. So right. we see more of this horizontal gene tra transfer happening when there are, when the bacteria feel threatened mm -hmm. by things like antibiotics. Yeah. And, but then if say you're in the gut microbiome uh, and you are not only competing with other species that are in your gut, but you're also cooperating with some of them. I could see some mechanism whereby you might want to share these beneficial genes with another species that you are co cooperating with. So yeah, it so feel, that feels like weirdly you, counter to you, evolution. You started off but, talking about competition as being the major driving yeah. source. So yeah, if it was a good thing, you'd think that they wouldn't share it with, between um, between different species. Right, but if you're cooperating but it's with possible. other, yeah. And you know what? The microbiome is so complicated. Yeah. So new, I wouldn't be surprised at all if uh, see that sort of thing happening. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Interesting. Bacteria have circular DNA. Sweet. That's awesome. Um, yeah, another chart. Another chart. We'll, let's not spend too much time on this one. Okay. But with this, so the diversity is on the on the y-axis there. It goes mm -hmm. from 0 to 100. And the ICU patients that you see, many of them mm. have super, super low diversity. So this paper showed that we can go to the ICU, the intensive care unit right now. We can sample patients. And some of them will have, instead of having hundreds or thousands of species mm -hmm. on their bodies and in their microbiomes, they might have one or two. Wow. And the stuff that's left, it might be like a multi-drug resistant E. Yeah. coli or a candida species, and they have almost no microbiome. Yikes. And there's another study that showed that you can predict if someone's going to live or die by the diversity of their microbiomes. We talked about this a little bit last right. time. Right, yeah, yeah. And I did mention that, that, that fact, which is that diversity can, can really be a key thing to help you survive mm -hmm. your hospital stay. And if you have no diversity of your microbiome, then you can be in really bad shape. Wow, that's but for really the purposes crazy. Of this, you know, episode. Mm -hmm. The key here is that all those ICU patients, they have super super resistant microbes yep. living in their guts, and some of them will go. On, some of those microbes will go on to kill them. That's very scary. Yeah. Wow. Hey, Paranor, what's up? Um, they say one species of bee changes its wing vibration to open a specific flower's pollen. That Symbiotic is relationships. That would That's be an example very, of very cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah for That's sure. very cool. Biology is awesome. Mutualism. Yeah. Oop. Mesquites. Okay, so we're just gonna we're just gonna like dial it back and take the, the big view here. Yeah. So everything we've been talking about, we've been thinking mostly about bacteria. But really, it's everything. When we spray DDT for, you know, mosquitoes. Yep. Mosquitoes evolve resistance to, to the pesticides. Yep. When we spray, you know, herbicides on like Roundup on agricultural farms, the weeds will then evolve resistance. 
cancer cells that we give chemotherapy to will evolve resistance to the chemotherapy agents. So this is a biological phenomenon that we can see across yeah. a whole bunch of different domains. And really it's an example in most of the cases where the evolution is a bad thing. It's actually causing outcomes that we don't like. Right. Infections that we can't treat, cancers that we can't treat, pests that we can't kill, and these kinds of things. So the earlier comment of can we use these concepts to push the evolution in a way right. which is more favorable to us, then that's what we should be doing. And part of that really is using less antibiotics overall. Sure. And certainly not using it in agriculture just to make animals grow faster. Right. Which is something that happens. That's a big one. It really that is. That is a big one. Which is it's another fun topic. I wasn't yeah. planning on really going into that too much. Sure. But it's a simple thing that we could do. If we are selecting for resistant bugs in swine, so mm -hmm. in, 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 the, in the bacon that we eat, yep. some, of those, some of those microbes actually survive the whole processing or they get into agricultural workers, they get into human populations. Sure. And there have been some examples of people that get, get microbes <laughs> causing infections that we can't treat. And we don't want to do that. Yeah. So we should be using less antibiotics in agriculture. All over the place. Yep. And in order to do any of those really cool things where we're actually physically shaping the evolution that's going on, we have to understand how it works, right? It's probably not going to work if you don't believe it. Yeah, evolution. right. Yeah. So we have to know how the process works and yeah. that it does, mm -hmm. right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's probably one of the biggest take-home messages from any conversation about uh, resistance. Because if we don't actually think it's happening or we think it's happening by some other mechanism, um, that's going to make it a lot harder to figure out what's going on and then fix it. Right. So, yeah. Understanding evolution mm -hmm. equals good. Evolution works. That's right, Paranoid, for sure. Harnessing. There we go. Perfect timing. Okay. So if we're not going to be using antibiotics, what can we use? And let's imagine that you that's have an virus. antibiotic where the antibiotic itself can evolve, all right? Okay. So in other words, so the bacteria evolves some resistance, the antibiotic evolves back. So the antibiotic is actually an organism yeah. instead so in this of case, a chemical? The antibiotic is an organism, so it's a phage. And this is Michael Hochberg. He's a terrific biologist. He works in France mm. and also is a fellow at the Santa Fe Institute, just a short 60 miles north of us. Mm, okay. And he does this kind of work. He looks at you know, the, the, the co-evolution of things like Pseudomonas, which is a bad kind of pathogen, okay. and the phages that attack them. And there's been some pretty promising research and preclinical work and even some clinical studies showing that a phage, which is a little virus that attacks a bacteria, it's a predator of a predator, if you think about it. Yep. This might be something that we can use. And the major advantage is, unlike penicillin, the phage will continue to evolve. Mm -hmm. And even if the bacterium can evolve some resistance to the phage, the phage will evolve back. Right. Well, we so can sort of set off an arms race, if you will. Yeah. So we can harness evolution in a good way. So this is a good example of that. And That's something so which is cool. kind of exciting. Yeah. Uh, so Michael Hochberg is going to be speaking at the Evolutionary ah, Medicine Conference that I'm having this you summer. You planned this, didn't you? Not really. <laughs> Not really. In August. Come, come yep. if you can. It's going to yeah. be fun. He's a really great researcher. That's a really cool example of the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yep. There you go. Uh, okay. So we've kind of talked about this already. Yep. Shouldn't use, be using antibiotics on farms. 
I wonder under the current administration mm. how how much they're going to enforce this. <laughs> mm. It turns out that the FDA did crack down on, on antibiotics, but they left a big loophole, which is that you can still treat sick animals. Right. And you can treat specific conditions. And they've shown that there was a little dip in the antibiotic use on farms, and then it went right back up again. Because so people figured out how to get around the they loopholes. They figured out how to exploit the loopholes. And the thing is, they, they use the antibiotics to promote growth. Right. So farm animals, chickens, pigs, cattle, yep. they grow faster in the presence of antibiotics, which is something that which is also a really cool thing to talk about. But the downside of that is that we're also selecting for resistant bugs. Yep. And then we're eating it. And then we're eating it. Yep. It's not good. So just as an aside while we run this, mm -hmm. a guy, um, Jameson Voss, he's a preventative care doctor and epidemiologist with the Air Force. Mm -hmm. He's done work that says that, you know, in the last 50, 60, 70 years, we've been using antibiotics as a growth promoter on farms. And we see that our farm animals and our pets become obese. We talked about this last time. Yep. What has been the consequence of that on us? And maybe mm. all this antibiotic use is selected for essentially fat and fast growing right. or, you know, genes in the, in the agricultural animals and in our, in our pets, but also in the mm. microbes. Those microbes get shared with us. Yep. So we call it a spillover effect. So mm -hmm. if anybody follows me on Twitter, I tweeted about that and that's got, got some attention. I will put the link in chat if anybody wants mm -hmm. to follow where you are. Take-homes. No take-home points. Yes. All right. So antibiotics are selection. Antibiotics kill sensitive strains. They leave the resistant ones. And so it's it, this is a textbook example of natural selection and evolution. Yep. So resistance happens. And resistance evolution happens. At a rapid pace within yep. a person or animal or whatever in hours. That's crazy. So once we understand that an antibiotic prescription is actually driving evolution, then we should really think carefully about when we use it. Yeah. So let's use it only if we have to. And if we have to, let's use a lower dose. Let's use a shorter course. Yep. And there's been a whole series of, of papers that have come out that have supported the <laughs> idea of using a short courses of antibiotics, not the super long ones in general. And then, of course, if you have somebody who we can detect bacteria. So this, this happens all the time in the ER. Okay. So we get a urine sample. Oh, there's bacteria in there. There's got some white cells. And we ask the patient, so do you feel sick? And they say, no. Well, do you have any burning when you pee? No. We shouldn't treat those because they're, not, they're yeah. not causing problems. Right. This is when we can rely on the immune system to do its job. So those are some take-home points, some things we can do different. So this is a talk you know, that I give to medical students mm -hmm. and try to share this. But um, I think these are messages that, people who are non-medical people can also learn from absolutely which is why your your getting of pens and getting your notebooks and getting ready for a pop quiz is cool pop quiz coming up yes no pop quiz no i know i think you guys got the message zufu says i can't take any more quizzes because i don't want them to lose their effectiveness like antibiotics <laughs> good one <laughs> i know it's bad please see yourself out no i'm just kidding <laughs> but yeah, no, these, the thing is, and I say this every time we have one of these episodes, right? The reason why we're talking about this stuff is because it actually affects people's lives. These are things that we have all taken and probably will take again. So if we can just like 
tell five more people that they maybe don't want to go looking for an antibiotic prescription if they have the flu. Right. Or if they have a doctor who is kind of trigger happy with antibiotics that maybe they want to say like, no, I'm actually not feeling that bad. I think I'm just going to let my immune system take care of it for me. Um, and I listen, you know, I, I love it when I have patients that, that have some education about this and are aware of the downsides. Yeah. It makes makes my job a whole lot easier. Absolutely. And I think that I do better medicine as a result. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's just a few things here that if we can just sort of create a little bit more awareness about it, I just, I feel good about that, you know, because mm -hmm. then you can tell your friends. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, we talked to... I, mean, I promised you guys a little bit of fecal transplant. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. Let's end with fecal transplant. We always do. <laughs> so, Clostridium difficile, which is this terrible, C. terrible diff. infection called C. diff. Yeah. They've done studies that have shown that when we use antibiotics against C. diff, it doesn't work as well yep. as when we do a fecal transplant. So, this is one infection where the best treatment that exists in the universe, it yep. seems to be, to actually flood the system with beneficial microbes yep so that's not using antibiotics harnessing that microbiome yeah. so this is another alternative to antibiotics that <laughs> seems to work it does we're ending on a brown note we're ending, we always do we, always, we do. always do sorry we totally do but you know what this is this is this is good stuff yeah it's true yeah <laughs> fart jokes and fecal transplants abound but, yeah. seriously microbiome engineering is something that i think that we're going to see more of getting yes you know trying to really manipulate the microbiome in such a way that we cure infection, yeah. that we prevent infection, that's going to be better than just giving everybody a course of antibiotics. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, uh, do you guys have any questions about antibiotics, about resistance, about evolution? Um, are there things that you might want to learn about on here? Let us know. Uh, yeah, between microbiome and epigenetics, interesting things are afoot for the future. That mm -hmm. is absolutely how I feel. Microbiome and epigenetics are the two things that I am probably most fascinated with right now. That's like, those are my jam. I think they're super fascinating. Me too. So if we find, ooh, here we go. If we find a new type of antibiotic, will the effectiveness of it last as long as the previous ones? Mm. Are, we, are we moving towards quicker evolution of resistance? Is that a trend that we could see? If we aren't already so i think that the answer is probably yes we'd see a shorter time sure so the reason is that like i said there are some, some multi-purpose defenses that microbes have where they just pump any kind of xenobiotic or antibiotic out of their system mm -hmm. and that would make them have some some possible resistance to even brand new antibiotics yeah um but it's really going to be a feature of just how much of it's being used. So if we come up with something new and we use a lot of it, we're going to see that's a lot of selection pressure. Right. Uh, our manufacturing processes allow us to make a lot of antibiotics these days, and we're going to see some resistance happening quickly, more quickly than, than happened in the past. And I think that, especially compared to probably the 1950s and 1960s, yeah. that, like I said, kids are being exposed to more antibiotics than they were before. Yep. So our whole cultural practice has shifted towards driving more resistance evolution right making those intervals between the brand new antibiotic and the resistance even shorter than what we saw in the past that is scary yeah that's very scary actually one, one last thing yes please so do. we started with penicillin yes we talked about penicillin allergies and yep. rashes mm -hmm. which isn't really what we consider a true allergy sure 
And penicillin still does work for some infections. It's not right. totally useless. Yeah. And compared to some of those other ones we talked about, the macrolides, the zithromycins, if you can be treated with penicillin, it probably mm. is the best one. Really? Yeah. Why is that? Uh, Do we know? I guess that's a fair one, question as because well. Because it doesn't seem to kill off as many of your commensal microbes okay. as some other ones do. Scott! <laughs> and uh, there's some other, other reasons, particularly in E. coli, that if using penicillin drives evolution of E. Mm -hmm. coli towards resistance against just the penicillin. Whereas if you use other kinds of antibiotics, you end up with multi-drug <clears throat> resistant mm, E. coli. Okay. So these are, this is kind of kind of interesting you know the sec second level stuff yeah but so i tell docs if you're going to use an antibiotic use, use penicillin okay that probably has a limited shelf life as well though right yeah that's right there may be there may be something to the fact that penicillin doesn't just doesn't work as well sure as some of these other ones yeah yeah so we're exerting less selective uh, pressure okay. and we're doing less potential harm uh by the same mechanism that antibiotics interesting. work all right Man. So this gets it gets a little bit tricky, but we we definitely can use penicillin, and I tell people to use it when we can. Alexander Fleming exerting pressure on us all right. in multiple ways. Still, yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Well, um, is crystal healing therapy an alternative to antibiotics? Um, I'm it sorry, I for, scoffed at that. <laughs> it may, it may be for non-existent problems. Maybe, yeah. yeah. It would definitely be better. I mean, you might get a placebo effect, which is like yeah. seen to be a pretty significant thing sometimes. So we should talk. Were we we should talk about actually alternative have alternative medicine. Um, maybe we should. Yeah, I, I we haven't talked about it yet, but yeah. we probably should. What were you gonna say? I, well, I was gonna say maybe we should talk about oh, crystal. Uh, no, about um, mm -hmm. I lost my train of thought. Sorry. Um, shoot. Placebo effect. Yeah. We should talk about placebo effect. We could. That's a good one. It's a good one. Yeah. Right now? Maybe not right now. Maybe <laughs> I think it could probably be a decent full episode. We could talk we about talk that about might a bunch be a different good combo. studies. We could talk about a little bit about alternative medicine, a little bit about placebo yeah, effect. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Maybe we'll do that next time. Yeah, we should. Okay. <laughs> cool. All right. Um yeah, so yeah, right? There you go. Yoga. Healing yoga. powers of yoga. I would concur with that for sure. Exercise is magic. And yeah, would, and absolutely. Yoga does some special things, but it's, it's, in that, it's in that category. <laughs> a placebo effect episode. I'm mm -hmm. feeling better already. Ah, nice. Oh, look at that. You guys look are at good. that. Yep. You guys are good. I know. Never let me down. They never do. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. So that, um, that concludes our episode of uh, evolutionary medicine mm -hmm. for tonight. Uh, so, yeah, stick around. We'll see you guys in a little bit. Until next time. Bye. Yes. See you guys.